Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Episode 77 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Andrew Lolk of Savvy Revenue, who shares why he left an eight-figure agency that he co-founded to start over from scratch. Andrew and his partners started White Shark Media in 2011, and six years later when Andrew decided to move on and launch Savvy Revenue, the company had 1,500 clients, 220 employees, and over $10 million in annual revenue. He learned a lot in those six years, but even after building a successful agency, he is still trying to learn and improve, and that's why he turned to Hubstaff's Agency Vantage podcast. In our chat today, we talk about why he left such a successful company, how his experience there is shaping things this time around, and the specific lessons from this podcast that he is building into the DNA of his new agency. If you're running a big, growing agency, then this interview will help you make sure you get to spend your time on the parts of the business that you actually enjoy. And if you're running a new, smaller agency, then you'll learn how to build a foundation that lets you grow while maintaining your margins and your sanity. Whatever situation you're in, there is something for you in this interview. So without further ado, here's Andrew Lolk of Savvy Revenue. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. So you are a co-founder of White Shark Media, which is a thriving eight-figure PPC agency, but recently you decided to leave and actually start something of your own from scratch. Can you share with us a little bit of the backstory there? I think I should probably say that I'm, I'm born and raised in, in Denmark, so... One of the things I, I tend to do is I'll, I'll use the wrong analogies. So often you'll, you'll find things for me saying like a, a gram of salt instead of a grain of salt. I know my, my, my blog editor loves fixing all, all of those. Nice. Um, but all in all, then I, I started out in, in PBC in, uh, in Denmark where I was uh, working as a PBC manager in an agency. Ton of freedom. Everything was as it should be. But the thing was I was, I was doing a bunch of affiliate marketing on the side. Uh, and there was this one day when I walked into the office and, and I checked my affiliate income like you always do. You always check your, right. <laughs> your your numbers. And I could see that I had already made more from affiliate marketing than I would be sitting at my desk all day. So so in the next couple of days, I, I, I quit and I said, like, no, I'll, I, I'll just do affiliate full time. And with that meant that I also moved to uh, to Malta, which is like a small island in Europe. Um, basically I, I had been, I had been sitting in my, uh, in my, yeah, base in my apartment in Denmark. And I always been looking at these pictures from, from abroad with, with sun, uh, with the sunny skies and, and blue skies and everything. And I really wanted to be in a place where it was uh, warmer year round. And so I, I moved to Malta and basically four months into that, I hit the mark where I said like, okay. This is, this is where I'll stay. I've now hit the three-month mark and the four-month mark. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'll finally buy like like pristine office furniture and get <laughs> all the ergonomic chairs and everything so I could really work. And it was something like like day four months and three days. Uh, then uh, Gary, who's uh, one of the partners in Wireshark, called me and said, Hey, have you ever heard about Nicaragua? And I said, <laughs> No, I am not. I've not heard of 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 Africa. Um, I thought I thought he said <laughs> Nigeria first, uh, but anyways, he uh, he said, "Listen, we uh, we want to do an AdWords uh, or a PPC agency, uh, and we hear you're good. 
why don't you uh, fly to Nicaragua and meet us and we'll discuss the project for a week. And that was basically the beginning. And, and subsequently, I bought myself in. So I was a full third partner. What year was that? That was, uh, that was late 2010. And so since that, since buying in, what was the growth like? What happened since 2010? So since 2010, we've, we've gone from basically none of us existed in white shirt me in the States because none of us, none of us had done any business in the U S to today. We we've been on the Inc 5,000 list uh, a couple of times uh, in, in 2016, we were just shy of Inc 500. We're, still beating ourselves over the heads with uh, with our 524 we could just have like we could have bought a couple of adwords uh, management plans ourselves and, and gotten into top 500 very happy with becoming uh, what used to be very prestigious which was the the google premier smb partnership which back then it was it was executives at google uh, in the channel sales department that handpicked agencies that they meant could do a difference for, for SMBs. It's not the same as it is today with the whole uh, premier Google partner. Um, but it was a pretty big thing back then. And we were like the number 25th, uh, we're 25th agency in, in the States that, that got that out of several thousand. So we're pretty proud of, the, of that. And so at what point in this story, when things seem to be going great, you're growing quickly, you're winning awards, you're getting recognition in the industry. When did you sort of have that moment where you walk into the office like before and say, this isn't what I was looking for? <laughs> I'll say I'll say this time around, it was it was a completely different uh, it was a completely different conversation in, in, in my head. Uh, it, it was never like one day it just popped up because. I, I, I love what I did. I really did. I, I would walk into the office every day with, with a smile on my face. I would I would jump around, be passionate and, and really, really have high ambitions for, for everything that we did. Um, however, 2016 was, was different for, for me and for the business, seeing that before that, uh, up until from 2013 to 2015, I had been uh, running our marketing team. Um, however, in 2015, we, we agreed that I would move back into running our product and service teams, meaning where all the fulfillment of, of the PPC and SEO and web projects uh, were being completed. And it was just like once when, when you're managing a, a department of 100 people, it just it's something completely different than what, what yeah. we started out doing. It's like my, my day was no longer uh, consulting with clients. It wasn't sitting with with some of the, the strategists and discussing uh, what was the best approach to this uh, online marketing problem. Weren't setting strategies, weren't doing any of those. Instead, what I was doing was was things that was honestly completely out of my element. It was stuff like. Uh, career planning it was discussing hr it was it was trying to navigate the endless nightmare that is uh, bonuses and compensation to try to figure out how do we get this specific behavior and it was just it was all the things that that you know in all honesty looking back it's not what what i'm that good at mm -hmm. um, so uh during 2016 we we were discussing a lot of structure and how the company could look and one of the decisions we, we came across was to uh, was to combine the sales and the service departments so that because historically those two departments have always been uh, separated in white shirt media with with one manager or, or one leader in one department and one leader in another mm -hmm. 
And as with every single other company out there having this structure, right. it meant that there was push and pull. Sales would, would sell things or, or clients that might not fit. And the product teams would push back on clients that weren't perfect. Uh, one of the best analogies I've ever heard is like, because we're a lot of our, one of our most important business KPIs is churn. And so like if, if you're sitting and you're only being measured by churn, then the then you're, you're, you're like a heart surgeon. You want to have a perfect record. So you're never going to take on a, a, an iffy case. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you have two, two poles sitting in each side of the, um, of the arena and just working against each other. So our idea was and is to put in like a chief revenue officer who oversees both. I see. That, that way the person is, is only measured by net growth. And well, not that happens through ton of acquisitions and a ton of churn or if it happens through low acquisitions and low churn it's his it's his priority he has a budget he has the uh, the ability to do what he, he he thinks best and and as we started looking at that structure we all saw hey wait that that actually sounds really smart and we found a guy for it then we started looking at okay where should i then sit in the hierarchy because it, it would essentially mean that that i would be two or three levels below the top leadership in the company Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, my ego is, is fine. I, I don't personally have a problem with it. I, I would just like to go back to doing what I, I actually like doing. But the problem is I've, I've been there six years. I am a co-founder. I do have a very strong opinion about a lot of different aspects. And my, my fear and our fear was that, uh, a, the person that the CRO wouldn't get, he wouldn't be allowed to to roll out new things without people, especially the ones that have been there for a while, would go like, what would Andrew say? Right. What would Andrew do? What does Andrew think? And I just, I, we, none of us felt that that was the right thing to do. So um, even though it was, it was without a doubt the hardest decision that I've ever made, we, we made the decision that that as per December 23rd, White Shark would be without an Andrew coming into the office every day, despite <laughs> me having done that for, for six years, being the first one in, last one out. And so what was that feeling like when you finally, obviously it was a long time coming in the sense that it wasn't an overnight decision, but still it's something that you've worked on for so many years and really that was your routine was going in to the office working on this. And even though your role had changed, that was still kind of a big part of your identity. So what was that feeling like when you accepted and realized that the best way forward didn't involve you at the company anymore? Oh, that was a, it was a very, very, very mixed, uh, mixed, mixed feeling. On one, on one day I would be, uh, I would, I'd be, I'd be happy. I'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that, that now I can do this or right. I can, I can make this change because we, we are, we are what, what I like to call, we're a big company. We're a little bit over 200 people. So wow. it's, it's, it's a big machine to change. And, and I know uh, the guys over at Basecamp have ta- has talked about this a couple of times where everybody wants to be a big, big company and everything becomes much easier, but try to make changes when you're a big <laughs> company and that need like half a million dollar uh, in minimum revenue per month just to survive. That's like the, the stakes are so much higher. Uh, so some days I would, I would be ecstatic. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be so cool. And then, then the next day I would, I would sit in, in some kind of stra- strategy meeting or discuss Q1 or Q2 with somebody. And I would be just like, oh yeah, I'm not going to be here. The hardest thing, one of the hardest things about it was also like, 
not being able to say anything because it, of course, it had to be announced in a specific way. And and when we finalized the, the decision in, in early October, uh, we actually had both me and my my co-founder. We had we had four travels from October to the end of November planned, and we didn't feel like we could announce it and then leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we actually didn't get to announce it until. I think it was uh, November 28th or December 2nd or something like that. So just like uh, barely a month before it was going final. Yeah, so we of course we we of course told top leadership uh, so that we everybody were prepared for in that sense, but it it was it was it was heart-wrenching to take two months uh, when when people <laughs> would ask in meetings uh, like, "Hey Andrew, what what are we going to do in next year? How are we going to do this and and what do you think of this? When should we roll this out?" Um, and there were, of course, there was the plan of decisions that we had to postpone until the new leadership came in because like changes in compensation or, or structural changes would, would be unwise to roll out just minutes before I leave. So <laughs> there was a lot of like it was, it was it was hard to look people in the eye like these are people you have like over five years we've been through three funerals dozens and dozens of company events we've been mm-hmm. through like hundreds of birthdays uh together so it was it was the hardest thing was, was to the people in the eye and basically say i'll be here in q1 and then the next day you say yeah that's not about that happen. right yeah about that so <laughs> there were some people felt betrayed no and I, I can only imagine the amount of stress that would go along with that but moving past that once you have committed to this decision and and you have decided, okay, I'm putting White Shark behind me now. What does a path look like going forward? Because one of the things that in talking to so many agency owners over the time I've been doing this show, I've realized that a lot of agency owners are what I call like an accidental agency owner where they're really good at whether it's design, software development, maybe it's PPC, whatever. And so they start getting clients almost just by chance. And then through word of mouth, they keep growing and keep growing, keep growing without really being deliberate about it. And they look up and have a realization like you have where their day-to-day job, they're not actually doing the work that they enjoy. So this time around, when you're building your new agency, how are you going to make sure things are different? Well, I've, I've, I have the advantage of, of, of six years of looking uh, at Wyshark and saying the grass is greener somewhere else, <laughs> looking at, at all the things that we, we haven't done and I have the ability to, to like kind of implement those things. And one of, one of the biggest things that, that a, uh, a heard on on the agency advantage podcast but but also just everywhere else is is this thing about positioning like mm-hmm. in, in white shark we didn't really ever establish a strong niche that we worked in um i want to do that completely different with with savvy revenue um so that we're only focused on a on a particular uh, part of the market that have particular uh, challenges on a, on a day-to-day basis and this is actually something where I should have asked this before that last point, but what is it specifically? What is Savvy Revenue? How does this project fit into what you're working on now? So what what, what I've decided to do with, with Savvy is that um, is, is to do a PPC, um, PPC agency that's solely focused on helping e-commerce stores profit with uh, PPC campaigns that, that can scale. So it's all about finding uh, e-commerce stores out there that, that are already operational. They have a solid foundation that they're selling common goods. 
uh, all of them will already have um, will already have a, a, a pretty chunk of revenue already running ads on on, on AdWords and and the other channels, um, and then then take the ones that that want to scale that that have that they've done well they're doing they're at, at all measures they're they're great businesses right now they've they've either exploded in the last year or or they've just walked around and they've done really, really well. They just, they're missing the next step. They're missing mm-hmm. the next level. And that's where as, as much as I've looked at, at PPC accounts over the years, and then there is just something that, that changes once you go from, let's say 10,000 a month to a hundred or 200,000 a month in, in budget. It's just those small little things that uh, on a ten thousand dollar account, it doesn't really matter. It might cost you a sale or two uh, at that level. Then when you're spending a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a month, it's completely different. Like those small things add up, and it can really, really dig into your, your bottom line. So I found out I can do that. I know how to do those things, and I've had extreme success with doing it in the past. Um, so I said, listen, why not just do a a PPC agency that is 100% focused on what I'm really, really good at. Because if if you look at it, then I don't like to get started. I don't need that many clients. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I just need a, like five, 10, then I'm, then I'm more than fine uh, and can start expanding and investing into the agency. So if if all goes horrible with, with choosing a too narrow positioning, I can always branch out, but I can always get five to ten clients with almost any niche you choose anywhere. <laughs> so that's, that's that's the thinking. I'm glad you said that because that's the thing is that even I hear it a lot of times from freelancers who resist positioning. And for a freelancer, it's in my opinion, it's crazy to resist that because you just don't need that many clients to build a real business when it's just you. But even as uh, – as you're doing, when you have a goal of actually building an agency, it still doesn't take that many clients to get started and really start the momentum going. And like you said, five or 10 clients and you have something there, especially when those clients perfectly fit the positioning, which means you're delivering insane value to them and probably getting compensated fairly well because of that, rather than just kind of taking anybody and everyone and having them fight back against every charge that you make because they're just not the right fit for you. Exactly. Like I, I was very much like uh, when, so I, I launched Savvy uh, at, in the middle of, of April. And, and one of the things is I, I chose to go with a, an agency in Denmark as well. I've, we never branched out to Denmark and, and White Shark. And to be honest, I was, I was very close not to do. I was close to skipping Denmark completely for for the agency part. Um, but and it was mainly because I, I saw so many agencies. There's so many agencies that had started up, and I knew many of the people who who ran them, and they they had grown exponentially. Uh, they had, many of them had got more than a hundred clients in a year, and not just small wow. clients, like like real clients. And I was like, wow, that's fast. There's no way I'm gonna get in there and start making a dent. But then as I was looking at all the different websites, and the same goes for, for, for over here in the States, it's like there's no positioning happening. Everybody's a web agency. Everybody's a PPC agency. Everybody can do everything for everybody. Um, and and again, it, it, it's true. Like I, I can do PPC for anybody. But where positioning really helps me is like this is what I enjoy doing. This is where I get the biggest joy out of, out of what I'm doing. And... 
And to be honest, it's, it's worked incredibly well. The, the, the leads that have come in so far on, on Savvy in the first two weeks have, there's been five leads, full disclosure, five leads come in immediately. And three out of five have been closed within a couple of days. Wow. Uh, and they're all in the $20,000 budget and up range. Uh, almost nobody came in that didn't fit what we're doing because I, I took a lot of time and wrote a page about who we work with, who we don't work with, uh, what's our thoughts on pricing, why is it that we, we're charging a, a premium rate, um, what kind of challenges are our e-commerce stores having out there, what, which of those challenges are we helping with, just so like everybody knows this is what we do, this is how we're positioned, uh, and this is how we can help. That, and there's a lot I want to unpack there. I mean, the first thing is just what you were talking about right then with the messaging. When you have that tight positioning statement, when it's clear who you're speaking to and what you can offer them, it's obvious who's a good fit because the people who you're trying to reach, when they read that message, they'll say, this person gets me. They know exactly what I'm going through. They know exactly what I need. And they can help me do that. Whereas if you're the generalist, even with PPC, if, if you're a generalist, People have to try to figure out like, oh, okay, like I think they could do what what this for me. I think they could help me there. But they have to do a lot more work in terms of thinking about it. Whereas when you can get that messaging right, it's obvious who you're trying to work with and how you can help. Yeah, and I like I, I like to think of myself as 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 like almost like the the agency advantage case study because <laughs> <laughs> I I absolutely went uh, like all in on, on listening to all the podcasts and and it was a big big help in how I structured this new agency and I I, I must admit that um, I was scared in the beginning and and especially as as some of the first leads came in and and it was from agencies where I, I knew what they were charging I knew how their, their structure was it was all like hourly rates it was based on how many hours were needed to work on the accounts and I, I knew that my the offer that I sent over was three x what they've been paying right. up until last month. Uh, I knew that it was like that the rate that I was giving was like half of a full time, well paid full time employee. So I was like, the first two I sent out, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is gonna like what is what is coming back? Should I lower my rate? Should I not? Uh, and I'm happy to say, like like as I said before, they they all came through, and and it's it has. The other agencies, they are good. It's just, for me, they're just they're charging by the hour, which is horrible in, <laughs> in my book. It like uh, it's, it's it's this entire thing with with that you're trying to explain what you're spending your hours on instead of actually just looking at the value created. Exactly. Then you have to sit and argue with with a client of whether or not you spend time on this minute detail. Like it right. Oh, how much matter. are you billing for this email? Or are you going to charge me if I call you and this type of thing? It's like that gets a discussion away from the actual value you're creating. And it's just, it's poison to the agency client relationship. Completely. I, 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 I really don't understand why anybody would still do, do hourly, do, do hourly rates. It just, it, it sinks the, the relationship before it can even, uh, can even get started. And I think a lot of it though, comes back to that fear that you just talked about where <clears throat> you know what the other agencies are doing. And a lot of them are billing by the hour. And a lot of them are having these generalist positioning statements. If you even want to call it a positioning statement, and <laughs> it, it's the thing is that when you do make these changes, you're going against the current and that can be scary. But back to what you originally said about the positioning where this got you down into 
the type of clients that you enjoy working with. I honestly hadn't thought about that side as much of it. And that's something that I think long-term agency owners do need to consider is that kind of the personal side of it is who do you actually want to work with? Put aside the money and all of that. Obviously, you need to make something, but who do you enjoy working with most and what can you do to get more of those clients? So I'm glad you mentioned that. But the other side of it too, though, is that while you theoretically could work with any client and I'm sure eventually deliver a profitable PPC campaign within reason, the fact that you do focus specifically on this exact, not just e-commerce clients, but on the specific size and type of client, you're going to get things. You're going to understand how they think, what their problems are much better than someone who works with anybody and everybody. And so a lot of that, I think, does help when you do put in that proposal that's a few times higher than the competitors because what you're doing to the client, to the prospect, is you're getting them to – they have to ask themselves like, all right, this person gets me. They work exclusively with clients like me. They understand my business. They understand me and they understand how to help me. Is it cost more? Does it gonna, is it going to cost me more money? Yes. But is that worth it? Will it give me a return? Whereas with the other ones, they have to basically say, I – I'm going to take a chance on these people because they th- I think they could help me out. And so I, I think when you can dial in on that, it makes it easier to justify the higher price point because in their mind, they're paying more because there's less risk. Yeah, exactly. And like w- one thing that I've, I've noticed now that I've been sending out these proposals is that, and I, I, n- I never really thought about it before, is that that the proposals now, like every single wording, every even even the way I price uh, my services, are tweaked around the challenges that 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 my specific uh, market is 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 having. So, for instance, like I charge one of the ways that I charge is a percentage of the ad spend. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's a horrible way to to charge, but for me, that I I I I, I position it as. Hey, you want to grow your uh, your 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 account? You want to spend more? You want to have more revenue? You want to have higher ROI? So the way the reason why in the past when you're taking uh, taking on uh, agencies that charge by the hour is that every single time that they're gonna have to spend uh, spend uh, optimizing your account in order to make it bigger, spending more, getting better results. They're not. They need. They know. They need to go out to you and then argue that hey, now your account has become bigger, so now you have to spend. Uh, now you, we have to charge you more. Mm-hmm. Where, if you take a percentage of ad spend, and what I then do is I have like a caveat and I say like hey, if we ever go under this ROI, you don't have to pay me anything for that month. Um, but otherwise, the the idea is like hey, like as I grow your account, I'll get paid more. You'll earn more because we'll always be over this ROI threshold. Uh, so it's like it's a win-win-win. I'll be sitting here. I won't have to sit and worry about particularly getting on new clients because I can just grow your business. I can grow exact your account in a profitable manner. Um, so it's like it's a double win. And it was it was not until I sent out my proposal with that comment in it that I was like, hmm, <laughs> that's that's another subtlety of of really knowing your audience and 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 narrowing down who you actually want to work with and what challenges they're having. Yeah, it's something where. 
A lot of people, when they first hear about positioning, think of it as sort of kind of marketing BS, where they're like, you say that, but is that really true? And does a business owner really care about that? Like, no, they just want whatever's cheapest. And at the end of the day, like, that's not what the business owner wants. They don't want to have to think about all of these little decisions and constantly be on top of the agency partner. That's why they're going to the agency so they don't have to deal with this as much themselves. And so the more you can understand them in their business and help cater what you do towards that, that is providing them with immense uh, value because now they just don't have to think about that as much anymore at all. Exactly. And so one thing I want to get back to is you said you had five leads come in and privately before we had talked about how you really, your goal is to get to 10 people on your team as soon as possible. So in terms of growth, in terms of getting to that point, in terms of increasing your leads, what is your strategy for how you're going to get there? So the the thing I've 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 always done both in in, in affiliate and in white shark and and will do now is is content and and, and content marketing. Um, so that content marketing will be the, the primary way that that we get clients. Particularly also because we don't need, or I don't need to grow as fast as, for instance, we did at, at white shark. We don't need to have like a huge growth tomorrow. We don't have uh yeah we don't have those targets so i have the ability to kind of wait a little bit and and have it all come in um and and for me it's it's so important that when when, when clients get on board then then we're the experts like mm-hmm. we're the ones dictating how things should be done there's there's like we had a rule in, in white shark where it was like if if you ever find yourself in a situation where you've been told what to do more than twice then you're looking at churn, you're looking at a client that's about to leave. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe in a year, because they're you, you've taken out of the expert expert role. Uh, oh, okay. Because is is it? And the thing is, is it often doesn't happen immediately. But whenever at one point in time they sit and they look at a uh, at a check and they're like, they might have to do some some cost cutting. It happens all the time. Many companies have like ten percent cost cutting as mandatory every year. Um, so it's like. Do I want to keep these guys on? Do they bring something additional to the table? And if they don't, then you're cut and it goes mm-hmm. super fast. So I want to make sure that, and I don't want to sit and fight with, with clients about like why we do certain things. Uh, it's just, it, it, I don't want to argue about like, like, like opinions, like take our experience. If, if you don't think that what we, if you don't think what we have to suggest is, is the best idea, you know what? We'll test it. We'll go in, we'll put it in. Uh, if you have specific things you want to check, we'll, we'll put it in there as well. We'll advise you not to in certain cases, <laughs> but it's important for me that we are established and positioned as, as the experts and content marketing is an excellent way uh, of doing that. And so what will this content look like? Because I, I, Everyone's talking about content marketing in the startup world and the agency world is everywhere. And it's something where a lot of the times the way it's executed isn't so great. So how are you going to approach this differently to make sure that you're actually getting results from the content? So one of the things that in uh, just to bring it a little bit back in, in White Shark, uh, as I was running marketing, our one of the goals that we had was to launch three blog posts per week. Um, and I would write maybe one of them. Um, and, and then some weeks out that would go out as a guest post, but I would always be yeah, borderline sad when <laughs> I wrote a, a massive piece of content that, that was doing really, really well, 
But one week later, it was it was buried. There was, it was no more. It was gone. If somebody new came to our blog, they would look at the three other blog posts that came out. That might have just been like filler uh, blog right. posts. Now that I look back at it, and I feel like I, f- I feel we're at a I feel I feel we're at a at a place now. We're at a crossroads where we as as marketers, especially in content marketing, need to decide whether or not we what what it is that we're doing. Because to be honest, like. None of us are blogging anymore. Writing like all these tips and, and long guides and stuff like that. That's like that's not what the intent of a blog was. The intent of a blog was to share nit bits and tidbits mm-hmm. and, and just small things here and there in a chronological manner. So everybody could hey, this is the latest from XYC guide. This is the latest pictures. Uh, it wasn't something you would go in and, and, and try to find later. So I, I feel we're all doing it wrong when we have these long lists of chronological blog posts um and and i feel we should all and that's my plan is to go more towards becoming more this this resource library where if somebody goes on to to savvy revenue in the future they can go to the blog and they will find the same blog as somebody coming to it a year or two years ago in terms of the structure like if you're just starting out or if you're having these challenges this is where you go you're not going to see the latest blog post i posted today because it, for me, that just it misses the mark to just pu- uh, pu- uh, to just show the latest that you've done at all times to every single user. You have to become more of a resource, and and with that, I feel like I feel old content needs to be updated or deleted. I can't tell you how many times I've I felt like Oof, this article I wrote a year ago. It's still 98% good today, but because there is this teeny tiny minor change, then it actually doesn't like it. It's 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 partly partly wrong today, and I feel that's such a mistake. Like we have to be resources, we have to be libraries, we have to be places where like if I want to learn about, in my case, if I want to learn about PPC for e-commerce. Then I know I can go there and I'll be presented with a way. Not just I, I won't just be presented with content. I'd be presented with a way, a guide to consume this content. Because that's also why I think that all these courses can be sold for, for $500 or 1000 or $2,000 online. Uh, because it's basically the same content that's in many of these courses as you can find. It's just presented in a different yep. way. It's just shown in a way that it's super easy to consume and it, it like it, it, it it takes handholding to a brand new level that like you get it and I, like I'm on courses. I every time I want to try something new, I'll I'll take a course because I know I don't have to figure out uh, what advice is the right one, or I know I don't I'm not gonna start reading something that goes completely above my head. Right, I, it's the same exact way. If I'm researching something. I don't want, I'm at a point in my life where like, I don't want to spend dozens and dozens of hours scouring all these different blogs, figuring out what's relevant and what's not. I'd rather just pay someone a decent price to just kind of package it all up for me and say, this is what's important. It's up to date. This is why you should listen to me. These are results that other people have gotten and kind of prove it on its own. Like, I think there's value there. I'm okay with paying for that because you're right. The way most blogs are managed, it creates an insane amount of work for someone who's really just trying to learn something and doesn't want to dig through the archives to find this and that post. Yeah. No, it would always like, and it would always, I would always be sad when I thought of like new people coming to, to the, to the blog. I'm like, nah, but where should they start? Where should they go? And, and like, is this really the image we want to present? This like, we have, so we have like tens of, of amazing content 
but somebody might come at the wrong time and they won't find what they're looking for. Um, so I, I really, I really want to make a, a big push for, for, for the user experience and, and help them consume the content, not just produce the content. Have you thought much about like the specifics of how you're going to do that? Or are there any companies you see or agencies you see that do this really well right now? I actually haven't, I haven't noticed anybody doing it uh, really, really well. I see, uh, I see people starting. I think uh, growthhackers.com is, is, is trying to do something with, with their community and the way that they've presented articles. Um, and then there is, there are a couple like Moss is trying, um, Wordstream, which is a, a PPC agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they all created what they were like a P, PPC university where, where they, they basically just take the blog post that they had done before. And then they, uh, they would just portray them in a, in a manner that made sense. Interesting. And so is this something that you're going to be doing in trying to build into the savvy, savvy revenue approach right from the start? Or is it something that kind of needs a bit of planning to really execute the way you want it to? So uh, right now, the idea is to just uh, start writing, just to start the, the everything to come out. Um, but then because like I have to, I have this I have personally, I have a challenge with doing work up front and imagining how everything should be up front with, with this sent with this meant I, I can't really imagine how it should look like before I have the content ready. I see. So I like, and I, that's something that, especially here when we've been building and the, the before the website for savvy was, re, was, uh, was started or was launched. I, 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 I felt like a complete fraud because I was like, <laughs> I could do maybe three, four hours of work a day and I would just be absolutely uh, behind, uh, not behind on the work I had to do, but I felt like I, I came from an environment where I worked 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden I, I was just doing a couple of hours of work and there, there was essentially more blog posts to write. There were, I could record webinars. I could, like there's, there's always things you can do uh, to prepare, but I just, I couldn't find myself being motivated um, by it. And it's kind of the same now, like until it like, until there is enough content on the blog for it to be at a, in a place where I need to be uh, showcased better, mm-hmm. then I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually not going to touch it. One question I really wanted to ask you is because one, first you kind of blew my mind a bit with your approach to, and the way you think about content. I hadn't thought of it that way, at least consciously. But when you were describing that pain to me, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about and and I get it. So you gave me kind of a lot of homework to go back and think about how I can start applying this better myself. So thanks for that. But what (laughs) I, what I really want to talk about now though is, is the longer term because what I'm curious about is, you are setting out to build a bigger agency. You're not necessarily trying to replicate what you had at White Shark. In fact, you're trying to do exactly the opposite of not <laughs> building that. But what do you, how are you kind of putting in place systems or, or whatever? Just how are you approaching the problem of making sure you ultimately build the agency that you want to work in? How do you make sure that you don't lose sight of that? So one of one of the first things that that I've I've written in, in a huge posted right in front of me right now is is outsourcing. Um, it can it can come in any which way, form or shape: virtual assistant, agency consultant, or or any which way delegation internally, whatever it is. 
but I want to make sure that that I, as an agency owner, have outsourced everything that that I don't have to touch. Because one of my wishes is to to be hands on with clients uh, mm-hmm. as for as long as I can, and and still do it once the agency has reached a size where I actually shouldn't. Um, but hopefully, I'll be able to take out everything that that's called administration or finance or HR and all those aspects and have, have built processes and, and delegated those areas to other people. So I'll, I'll still have that chunk of time uh, to work uh, directly with clients. Um, and, and I want to start doing that already now. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, I, I quickly got some, uh, a writer on board uh, just to do, um, what, what can you say for instance, um, my plan is to do very, very large blog posts. Like the, the one I just released uh, right uh, last week on, on Savvy was, was eight and a half thousand words. Wow. Uh, and the idea is kind of like, like take those, take tidbits of that article and then use them as, as guest posts on other people's mm-hmm. blogs. Um, but then I'll, I'll create these massive pieces and I'll get somebody else to, 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 to re- repurpose them into smaller blog posts that have tidbits instead. And I got somebody involved with with writing that immediately. Um, in Denmark, I've gotten a translator involved immediately to start doing uh, the uh, the translation of the blog post, so I don't have to do all that. So I'm, I'm trying to to have a list and just go one by one as as revenue allows it uh, mm-hmm. to and just give it away to somebody else, build the process out for it as early as possible. Because I know from experience that once it starts becoming busy, what you will do is you won't outsource, you won't delegate because it will yep. take it'll, it will take longer to actually set up. And, and to be honest, I, I started seeing it already last week as as I started getting these, uh, these leads and I had to do the right proposals, we had to do sales calls, we had to review accounts, we had to get started and all those things. And as I was sitting at, at the end of the day, all of a sudden I hadn't gotten any work done on my own marketing or my own blog post. And I was like, dang it, like <laughs> that was quick, like a week in and I'm already neglecting what I promised myself not to neglect. So it, I actually, I, one of your, one of your podcasts talked about this thing about, about working on your own stuff in the morning. So I've actually, I've taken that uh, into account and, and have now started doing that because the client work will be done. That's, yep. that's for sure. So now it's just take that hour, that, that one or two hours every morning and make sure you, you make progress on the blog post, make progress on, on the promotion and all these things. Yeah, and that's something I'm still working on because you're right. It's like when I have a deadline, it doesn't matter how hungry, how bored, how whatever I am, like I'll get it done by the deadline if it's for a client. If it's my own stuff, no, I'll just push it off to the next day because yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm busy. And so that's why I like structuring the day so you can tackle those very important things that are easy to put off. Tackle those first and get them done because you'll still have the time to get things done for your clients down the road. Exactly. I'm going to stop Andrew right there for a quick word from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. You probably know that by now, but what you may not know is that we recently launched a platform called Hubstaff Talent that makes it easier for you to find and hire high-quality freelancers around the world. Whether you just need extra hands for a specific project or you're looking for something long-term, Hubstaff Talent is what you need. 
Best of all, it's 100% free. We don't take a cut and we don't act as a middleman. Our goal is for you to use Substack for time tracking, but you're not required to do so. If you're looking to grow your team with remote freelancers and don't want to pay big fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com today and create a free profile for your agency and start posting your jobs. That's talent.hubstaff, H-U-B-S-T-A-F-F.com. All right, let's get back to Andrew. One thing that I wanted to talk about is just kind of breaking down your response there because there's a lot there and I think it's something that a lot of agency owners miss and that's just the value of process in general and it's because and you touched on it briefly when you said if you try to do this later on it's going to take too much time and you're just going to do it yourself because you don't have any time and that's exactly right and it's the reason why you're going to be able to put yourself in a position to run the agency that you want and to work on the things that you want is because you're going to have the time to. And the reason you're going to have the time to is because you have the processes in place so that you aren't doing all of that kind of administrative nonsense, all of the overhead things that don't actually add value. And if you can build those systems up, some of it just will go away because you won't be making the same mistakes when onboarding clients that cause random issues to pop up a few months down the road. And some things will just still be there, but you can actually outsource it. So putting all of that together is a way to really just take back control of your agency and give you the time to work on what you want to work on because it doesn't all depend on you anymore. You're not just kind of holding everything together yourself. Exactly. And, and that actually just... Reminding me of another like another reason why it's important to do these things like before it's like last minute uh, is like as an agency owner as as an entrepreneur you are pretty good at what you do uh, you have have built something you've done something amazing and uh, you are a lot more motivated you're a lot more ambitious than than pretty much ninety ninety five percent of everybody out there that also means you will grossly overestimate what everybody else can do so let's say that 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 there's something from an administration uh, administrative point of view that uh, you've been doing and you've been spending let's say three hours a week doing it and now you're like okay uh, now i have this administrative part i have this pressure management part i have these like at these five parts that together add up to let's say 30 hours a week um no maybe, maybe not but let's say 15 hours a week so i'll get somebody part-time to start managing these things and then all of a sudden you figure out that that part-time employee can do maybe one of those areas right. for 15 hours. <laughs> it's not like it's not like you that could do all those five areas in 15 in 15 hours. So you'll quickly learn that if if you want if you try to do that, then you'll just completely overburden uh, the people you're working with, and they won't last long. And it's one of my one of my nastiest learnings throughout the last six years and and we're still not perfect at it uh, today uh, but you also have to kind of accept that that's the case is not just expect that but but say because a lot of agency owners and a lot of entrepreneurs in general they've had that experience and so they just don't delegate they just do it themselves they say i'm not going to pay three people to do what i can do but they don't realize that there are better things that you could be doing and you still can have a huge ROI by having three times as many people do it because it lets you tackle those really high value things. And at a certain point in the agency, it lets you just do the things that you enjoy doing so you don't burn out. 
Yeah, and like I must say, like like that that last piece where where so you, so you don't burn out. There's like there, there's nothing worse than than knowing you have three to four hours worth of work that you really really dread doing. So it takes so you postpone and postpone and postpone, and then all of a sudden you have to do it at night uh, instead of uh, hanging out with with your family or, or going out with friends or just doing something that you'd rather do. Like like after. After eight years working for uh, for myself, or seven years working for myself, is I, I've learned to realize it's not all about the business, and mm-hmm. it's not all about just everything being efficient all the time. It's it's also about enjoying what you do, and I, it might just be something that comes with age that <laughs> you you, fi- you figure out that hey, like this isn't like the the rat race you can create that for yourself as well it's not just uh, for for people sitting in jobs it's it's also for yourself um, mm-hmm. so focusing on on getting those tasks out that you really don't don't enjoy doing and it doesn't have to be that you don't enjoy them. it's just not it's it's just not what you're uniquely qualified to exactly do. Uh, like, cause I'll, I'll enjoy plenty of things, but that doesn't mean I should be, I'm uniquely qualified to be doing them. Right. Am I the only person that can get this done? Not necessarily in a certain amount of time, but am I the only person who could do this? And if the answer is yes, then I guess you have to do it. But if the answer is no, you need to at least consider, all right, is this worth having someone else do? And I, I love that you touched on kind of that, that balance with the family and just the rest of your life because a lot of people see building out systems and building out processes like this as kind of the over-corporatization of a business. They left the corporate world because they hated process. They hated all these forms and everything else that they had to do. And process doesn't need to be a burden. And ultimately, in my opinion, the goal of process is what you touched on, is to free yourself up so you can work on what you want when you want. And if you're an agency owner who's listening to this and kind of resisting process, if you can't walk away from the agency for a week or two weeks or whatever and shut your phone off, not check your email without things completely falling apart, then as much as you might think you hate process, it will probably help your life get back on track and just be a little bit more enjoyable because you'll actually be able to unplug a little bit. Oh yeah, I can't. I can't tell you what what how many times I've I've talked about uh, the the idea of a routine with with people in in white shirt, for instance, uh, just trying to imp- explain to employees how much value there is of from from building routines, and that doesn't mean you have to have every single hour of your day scheduled out, but just having just a minor routines what you're doing and some minor processing the way that you structure your day it will allow you to say that now i'm writing a blog post that's mm-hmm. all i need to be doing i don't have to wonder about answering emails because in one hour and 45 minutes it's on my calendar to check email um so i can just i can focus on what i'm doing and try to get that that sense of what do you call it like of of deep work done mm-hmm. It's funny, I'm actually listening to Deep Work right now. It's a book by, I think it's Cal. Cal Newport, yeah. Yep, it's great. And this is what's actually driven a lot of my kind of rethinking my own processes. And another book, if listeners are curious about the kind of building out the system side of thing, it's a book called Work the System. It's it's (laughs) a bit, it's one where at some points it gets a bit long-winded, but the bulk (laughs) of it, the bulk of it though, in my opinion, is is a powerful system a way to think about the processes that go on with or without your involvement. It's, it's, it's funny you should mention this, especially work the system because uh, it, it was the first 
real business book I read seven years ago. Uh, that must have been six years ago when I was starting to, when I had like explained the same thing in white, in white shirt for like the millionth time. Like, <laughs> why is it that this keeps happening? I was like, this, this, this ends now. Yeah. And I read it and, and it was completely and utterly inspired, built what, what I, I, I then called the, the white shark wiki, like short for Wikipedia. I hadn't known, I didn't know about the term knowledge base uh, at that time. Um, but that was the first book that, that inspired me to start building processes. You're absolutely right. It is long winded. Like <laughs> I tell people is it's, it's the worst, best book I've ever read. That's a really uh, good way of putting it. Like it's super valuable, uh, right. but it's tough to get through. I'm, but I'm once always, you go through, it's great. Yeah. I'm always cautious to recommend it, but there is just so, <laughs> but there is just so much value in there that I always recommend it and then give it a little caveat. Like, Hey, it's going to be like, he just kind of rambles at some points, but if you can get through that, like there's a ton of value there because ultimately if you're not deliberate about building out systems, systems are going to exist. They're just not going to produce the result that you want. So the book is really just about being more deliberate and, and seeing everything for a system so you can start to improve it. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to live a super regimented life. It just is an approach to help get back control of the things that you don't want to deal with anymore. Exactly. And so to wrap things up, I'm curious, I want to ask you for listeners who are in a place like you are in where they, they look around and they're not necessarily doing day to day what they ultimately want to be doing. What is something that they can do to be a bit more deliberate about building the role for them or the agency for them or whatever it is, building what it is that they ultimately want out of life within their agency. I think that, that one thing that, that nobody does enough, it, it is to, uh, to, to design what it is that, that, that you're doing. We, we all have a lot more power of, of what we're working with on a daily basis, uh, both as, as an agency owner, but also if you are working in an agency somewhere or even just employee anywhere else, like being, having been on, on the other side as an agency owner and manager for, for, for six years is, it was it was very rare that I had people come up to me with with constructive ideas for how they could optimize or or work better on what they're good at and what kind of impact that could have on the business. Um, so like people have a lot more power over what it is they actually work on if they just start opening a conversation about it and and for an employee that means going to your manager and saying listen uh, i i think i'm really good at this i think i enjoy doing this and i think i have this value for the business what if i up my time focusing on this by 10 20 30 40 50 never go can i just do that that no, right. no manager in the world will ever say yes but you just say can i spend a little bit more time on that this is the value that will be driving uh, most people will listen, and if they don't listen, or if they say that's not how we do it, then go up the go up the ladder. Like, the, the, which is what I've typically seen is that the higher you go, the more flexibility you can actually get in terms of the people you talk to. And, and if you're an agency owner, you have all the power. If there's something you don't like doing on a day to day basis, day to day basis, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can find somebody else to do that. Like either you can outsource it or you can delegate it internally. Um, and again, like like I, I used to listen to to Michael Hyatt a lot, and one of the big mantras that he's always had is like, "You're not going to be able to fix all this tomorrow. 
never look for 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 a solution that will solve everything this week. Mm-hmm. Look at it three months ahead, one year ahead. What can you start doing now that will actually start that will say that in three months or in in twelve months that you will be at the place that you would like to be. Um, and, and that's kind of like the, the way that most people should, should think about these things, especially if they want to make big changes. Right. They're not going to happen overnight, but don't let that discourage you from getting started. Just figure out what it is, what is the first step you can take to get the ball moving so that eventually things will look more like the way you want them to. So that was great advice, Andrew. And before we wrap up, I do like to ask all of my guests just a few rapid-fire questions. And so I'm going to go through them quickly, but your responses don't have to be short. And the first one is just, what do you currently spend too much time doing? So in, in all honesty, seeing that we're just starting out, my what I spend too much time doing is is, is everything. Like because I have because I, I do have like ten hours available to to do work, then I, I tend to have my tasks take too long. So things that I know I can do in an hour, it stretches into an hour and a half, or it stretches into two hours. Or I'll I'll sit with with one of the new clients that I've come in, and I'll I'll just. I'll, I'll start looking at and analyzing XYZ thing, and that will lead me into reading a blog post, which will lead me into looking at, at another client account. If they have the same issue, I'll, like, I'll let myself be taken down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. um, which is something that, A, I enjoy doing a lot because it, you get these serendipitous uh, moments where you're like, wow, that's why that, uh, that, that uh, that's what that does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have this deep bad feeling inside me where it's telling me you're not being efficient you're not being efficient you're not being efficient (laughs) um so that that's that might be one of the things that i'm spending too much time doing right now what are you not spending enough time on um i i think i could be again taking it from from a person right now who have a little bit too much time on his hands uh compared to to an ideal setting I think I don't think I'm spending enough time just just relaxing or or finally getting into med- meditating or, or or taking that that one hour of uh, of lunch to go surprise my wife or just do something that now that for the first time in six years I have that additional time I, th- I think I should do that a little bit more now that I think about it. And then I know you just launched very recently, so there's a lot going on. But in the next quarter, what are you hoping to accomplish with Savvy Revenue? So by the next quarter, we will. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely have brought on one or two freelancers to to kind of work on some of the more specialty areas. Uh, there will be at least uh, ten clients, and we w- and I'll have have outsourced or delegated eighty percent of everything that's administrative uh, at that point in time. If if I was at that level in in three months, then I'd be happy. What do you see as the biggest obstacle that could prevent you from achieving that? I think that goal is so attainable that I don't really <laughs> see any challenges out there. No, the, the biggest thing is 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 to make sure that the traction continues because mm-hmm. uh, when when I first launched the the first blog post uh, in uh, in Savvy Revenue, it was kind of like a, a, a launch. This is what I'm doing. This is my story. This is everything I've been doing and. Uh, there was like there was nothing. <laughs> uh, it of course it, it it went completely well on, on on social. A lot of people read it and, and congratulated, but there was no business come out of it whatsoever. 
So first I was like, oh no, what what is this? <laughs> uh, is is this really how it's supposed to be? Do I have to go back in the trenches and and cold uh, email people to to get clients? Uh, and luckily I, I launched my second blog post and, and it, it immediately spawned, uh, leads that came in. Um, so the, the biggest, biggest hurdle is if, if I'm not able to, to continue this traction. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Andrew, you shared so much and this was a different talk than I was necessarily expecting us to have, but I'm, I'm it's one that I'm glad we did have because this wraps up a lot of how I think about just building an agency and I think it's all these are all important lessons that any agency owner who doesn't have the absolute agency of their dreams which none of us do can really learn from so thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today but before we say goodbye if listeners want to see what you're up to at Savvy Revenue and just hear more from you where are the best places for them to go? So the I'm I'm primarily on on Twitter at uh, at Andrew Lolk, and uh, other than that, my we'll continue to to post and update uh, everything on savvyrevenue.com, where where the agency lives, and 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 there you'll also be able to find all the different uh, content I've written. At, that kind of positions us as as an agency. Like like I said in the beginning, I, I do really think that that I would, um, that Savvy Revenue is a great case study for the Agency Advantage mm-hmm. podcast because a lot of things I've been doing have come directly from the podcast and come directly from from, from Jason and uh, and Ben Lee and and, and Blair Enns and many of the others that have have been on the podcast that I've just taken and said, okay, that sounds awesome. Let me do that as well. And so I'm, I'm really excited about showing everybody, all the listeners, what can happen if, if you if you follow the advice that you're given. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm going to get all of that linked up in the show notes. And Andrew, thank you again so much for your time. It was a lot of fun chatting today. Thanks, Andrew. It was great. Ble- it was a pleasure being here. Andrew's story is something I've heard again and again from not just agency owners, but business owners in general. What ultimately gets you started with your business isn't usually what you end up spending your time doing as a business grows. And often the new job that you found yourself doing isn't something you enjoy or even worse, it's something you actively despise doing. This ties into one of Andrew's most important messages. Be deliberate. Understand what it is that you ultimately want from your agency and actively work to create that. As an agency owner, remember, you have the power. So if there's something you don't like doing, you don't have to do it. And obviously, this is much easier said than done, but the point still stands. Andrew himself knew he needed to make a change, and that change involved leaving behind the eight-figure agency that he co-founded and starting over from scratch. For you, it may not require such a drastic change to get what you want, But whatever you do, if you're not happy with the way things are, make at least some change. Otherwise, you're just going to burn out. In order to make some of these big changes and remove yourself from the jobs that you don't want to do, you need to delegate from the very beginning. This can be excruciating, especially when you know you can do something faster than it would take to even just train someone else to do it. But you need to play the long game. Lastly, having a strong positioning statement makes everything else easier. When you know exactly who you're serving, how you're serving them, and what pains you can help them overcome, you immediately stand out from all of the other agencies out there. When you get this right, you position yourself as the expert in the client-agency relationship, which attracts better clients, lets you command higher rates, and lets you be selective about who it is that you work with. I'm going to cover more of this in a special episode next week, but I'm glad that Andrew was able to share his perspective on what we try to teach on this podcast. 
Next week's episode is bittersweet for me, as it's actually going to be the final episode of Hubstaff's Agency Vanish podcast. Jumping behind the mic and launching this podcast was one of the scariest things that I have ever done, but I am so glad that I did it because I've been able to talk with so many agency owners, learn so much about the agency world, and also hopefully share some useful advice with you. Thank you so much for giving me encouragement and support by tuning into the show over the years and reaching out. I truly have met some lifelong friends through this podcast, and I appreciate each and every one of you listening because without you, there wouldn't be this show. If you want to ask me anything at all or even just say hi after the show goes off the air, you can always reach out to me at andy at baldacci.org. That's andy at B-A-L-D-A-C-C-I dot org. I'll talk to you next week. See ya.